Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Father in heaven, we thank you for this uh, precious time that we have to gather together and to sing praises to your name and to hear from your word. Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, speak through me and Lord, that you, your spirit would soften the hearts of everyone here to hear what you have in particular for them to hear this morning. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, one time when I was living in Louisiana, Julie and I drove to New Orleans to see a concert. And as we were heading back home in a dark and lonely stretch of I-90, I noticed that my blinker, you know, when, whenever I put on my blinker, the speedometer, would go blink, blink, just the same as my, it was the strangest, I'd never seen that before. A few minutes later, I noticed that the lights on the dashboard were getting dim, you know, I said, what's going on here? And it wasn't long before a little light appeared on the right, upper right-hand corner in red, that said battery, I said, uh-oh, this is terrible. And then an orange and sign just started flashing, it said service engine soon. Okay, something seriously is wrong. So I pulled off the road and I hopped out of the car to check and see if the headlights were working at all. It was dark. And they were working, but just barely. Thankfully, we were able to get home safe and sound. But the next day, I took my car to Gary, my car mechanic. And he said, the problem, Bill, is not the battery, it's the alternator. Now, I don't know about you, but I am not at all mechanical. I can check the oil, that's about it. But uh, he patiently told me what most of you probably already know, is that an alternator constantly charges your battery while you're moving to keep the battery from running down. He said, you know those little remote cars and, and boats and uh, things that the kids play with, or those remote control things? They all run just on batteries. They don't have an alternator. And when the battery's dead, it stops. Now, all cars, I guess except for electric cars, I don't know about them, but all cars uh, do have alternators, and they keep your battery charged up. Well, I would like to suggest to... Uh, us this morning just to think about the fact that how our spiritual lives are like the battery in our car. There's only so much energy in that spiritual battery of yours and mine, and as we draw on its power to get us through the day, through the week, unless we we recharge that spiritual battery of ours, what's going to happen? It's going to get weaker and weaker and weaker, and the light of Christ shining through us is going to get dimmer and dimmer. We all critically need uh, something to keep our batteries charged up. We need an alternator, so to speak. And what I'd like to uh, suggest is that this morning is that the alternator that we all need and that is absolutely necessary to keep our spiritual batteries charged up and functional is regular time spent at the feet of Jesus, you know, listening intently to him and what he has to say to us from his word and then talking back to him in prayer. Now, I imagine that about now, some of you are thinking, so what's new about this? Yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. I need to have a quiet time. I know I need to be in the word. I feel guilty about that a million times. But as much as I try, I just can't seem to be able to stick with it. 
Well, I would venture to say that the number one reason most people have, and while they have difficulty just having some consistent quality times with the Lord in the Word, is the following five words. I am just so busy. Isn't that true? I mean, is that not true for all of us? Most of us are just so busy that it's hard to find time alone with the Lord. Uh, we're busy with our jobs. We're busy with our careers and meeting deadlines and quotas and putting out fires. And we're busy with our families, you know, running the kids to soccer practice, running the grocery store, running a household. We've got places to go, things to do, people to see. And at night, oh man, I don't know about you, we're dead tired, just dead tired. And in the morning, it seems like it's always just so hard to roll out of the sack. Well, John Mark Comer has written a book that both my sons, David and George, have highly recommended to me. And I understand a lot of you are reading this book as well. And it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And Comer talks very convincingly about how busy and hurried we are today and the extremely negative effect that that has on our spiritual growth and development. He quotes university professor Michael Zigarelli, who did a survey of over 20,000 Christians all the way, all around the globe, and that survey clearly identified busyness as a major distraction from spiritual life. Here's his hypothesis. I've got it up here on the, on the screen. It may be the case that one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads, two, to God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to, three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, and then the cycle begins again. Church, this is a problem. Yeah, this is a real problem. Comer goes on to quote Christian author Ronald Rollheiser, who writes, We, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It's not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We would like these. It is just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad more distracted than non-spiritual. And then he concludes, pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. So what do we do? Well, to find some help, what we'd like to do is to take a look at a jewel of a story in the Gospel of Luke, and it's only found in the Gospel of Luke, and, and it's only five verses long. It's all we're going to look at. We read it already, and it's a great, powerful message about keeping first things first. So in this passage in Luke 10, 38 to 42, Jesus and his disciples are traveling to Jerusalem. In order to get to Jerusalem, they had to pass the little village of Bethany, which is about two miles east of Jerusalem. And so they came through there, and guess who lives in Bethany? Well, Mary and Martha live in Bethany. As soon as Martha hears that Jesus and his disciples have hit town, boy, she immediately uh, goes and invites him to come have dinner uh, with his disciples at her house. So let's look at the text one more time together. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. 
She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. Sometimes I think, Bill, Bill, God's saying, you are worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Now, any first grader hearing this story uh, in their Sunday school class for the first time is gonna know who the hero is, right? I mean, Mary, obviously the great hero. She's the one that gets commended by Jesus. And Martha is the one who royally messes up and gets gently reproved by Jesus. But one thing I really wanted to underscore this morning is that it is so important to understand that Martha is not all bad, okay? In fact, Martha has a lot of really good qualities. For one thing, she is great at hospitality. It's Martha who welcomes Jesus and his, and his disciples, his merry men, into her home. And in John 12, guess what? We see her invite them all over again for another meal. She's a gracious hostess who has a, a servant's heart. Martha's a strong person. I mean, this gal is a doer. For those of you into the Enneagram, she's probably a strong three. Martha is a take charge. I saw some smiles. Yeah, you're into it. <laughs> Am I right? Is she a three? I think, okay, I'll write it. <laughs> Martha's a take charge, task-oriented woman who knows how to run a household. And when she, Jesus comes to her home, you better believe she's going to do it right. And she's going to be a great hostess for him. Hey, let's face it. We admire Martha, don't we? I mean, come on. Uh, if, if we're looking to hire somebody to work for us, we would choose Martha over Mary every time. Because she, she's a go-getter. She's a self-starter. She's a get-it-done kind of person who would fit very well with the busy, fast-paced culture where we tend to worship workaholics, right? But somewhere in the course of events in Luke 10, 38 to 42, Martha's welcome becomes wearisome. Her service becomes slavery. And that dinner party that started off so well ended up with resentful feelings, angry words, and a needed reproof from the Lord. And Martha, you see, she allowed her busyness to crowd out her time with the Lord. And so from this story, we want to say three things that can help you and me to not crowd time with God out of our busy, busy lives. So the first thing is for us to, number one, beware of the slippery path of submitting to the tyranny of the urgent. Charles Hummel, in his excellent pamphlet entitled The Tyranny of the Urgent, says this. Now, this is an old pamphlet. It was around when I was in high school, whatever. But back when the earth's crust was still forming, you know, kind of... <laughs> But it's still very relevant. It's as relevant today as it was then. He says this, Our greatest danger is letting the urgent things crowd out the important things. We live in constant tension between the urgent and the important. The problem is that the important task rarely must be done today or even this week. 
those extra hours of prayer and Bible study, a visit with that non-Christian friend. These important projects can wait, but the urgent task calls for instant action, endless demands which pressure us every hour and day. The urgent thing which cried out for the attention of Martha that day was a meal for 13 hungry men in her home. She had the task of feeding Jesus Christ and his 12 disciples. And so quite naturally, there was was a lot to do, a lot of preparations that were just screaming for her immediate attention. And the roast in the wood-burning stove, it was about to become a burnt offering unto the Lord. Okay. The bread dough just refused to rise. And you know, the, the table needed to be set. And they had to go to the well and get some more water and all this kind of stuff. And on and on and on it went. And so what happened was that Martha let these urgent things take her away from the much more important thing, which was what? Sitting down and spending time with the most honored guest imaginable, the Lord Jesus Christ. In this passage, we can see kind of a a downward progression of how submitting to the tyranny of the urgent can take us further and further away from the Lord. The downward slide begins when urgent little things distract us from taking time to listen to Jesus. For Martha, it was dinner for 13. What's it for you? What's it for you? Let's say you've just sat down to spend some quality time in the Word of the Lord and and you open your Bible and all of a sudden you remember some urgent task that you've got to get done that day. Maybe, uh, Maybe it's a call that you need to make before that important meeting at work today. Maybe it's something you suddenly remember you forgot to do yesterday. You've got to do it today. Now that's all you can think about. And so the quiet time flies out the window. Maybe that demanding modern-day tyrant, your iPhone, rings, and you feel, I must submit to its call, okay? It just, in charge of us that way. Maybe you start reading, but you're kind of distracted by the TV that's on in another room, and, and, you know, the news comes on, and and you're kind of interested in what the weather's going to be like today, what to wear, and all that stuff, and, oh, you want to see who the Cubs won last night. And you're distracted. Or maybe you get up early, and you have some great fellowship with the Lord, and, and all of a sudden you look over and you're distracted by that huge pile of dishes just in the sink from, from the night before, and, and you start thinking, boy, sure would be good if I could get them in the dishwasher before breakfast. I'll just have a quiet time later. Those little urgent things which scream for our attention, distract us from that which is of most critical importance, spending time at the feet of Jesus, listening intently from his word to see what he has to tell us for that day. And let me tell you, spending time in intimate fellowship with the Lord is something which our enemy desperately wants us not to do. John Comer writes this. He says, Satan doesn't show up as a demon with a pitchfork and gravelly smoker voice or as Will Ferrell with an electric guitar and fire on Saturday Night Live. He's far more intelligent than we give him credit for. Today, you're far more likely to run into the enemy in the form of an alert on your phone while you're reading your Bible or a multi-day Netflix binge or a full-on dopamine addiction to Instagram or a Saturday morning at the office or another soccer game on a Sunday or commitment after commitment after commitment in a life of speed. 
Corey Chen Boom once said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Oh, man, there, there's a lot of truth to that. Because you see, both sin and busyness have the exact same effect. It has a way of cutting off our connection with God, uh, cutting off connection to other people, and even cutting off your connection to your own soul. But the downward slide, it continues as distraction from Jesus mushrooms into worry. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried about many things. Now, this Greek word for worry, it paints this really vivid picture of what happens when we allow ourselves to become ruled by anxiety. It originally meant to be divided, to pull in two. You know, at first, Martha was distracted. There's a lot of work yet to be done to get to pull this meal off. And she gets more and more distracted by all the work before her. And then becomes anxious and she becomes very worried. You see, she's feeling torn in two. She's feeling torn. She, she has a desire to be with Jesus and, and listen to what he has to say. And yet she also has a desire to complete all her preparations. And her distractions just pull her away from uh, fellowship with, from the Lord, with the Lord. Now, Please don't misunderstand. It's not that Mary loved Jesus and Martha doesn't. No, not at all. Martha loved Jesus just like Mary loved Jesus. She too wanted to hear from him, but she also wanted to serve him and apparently make this a grand occasion. But because she got distracted, because she got worried, because she got upset trying to get it all together, she neither served well nor listened well. Guys, that's what happens. That's what happens when urgent tasks isolate us away from the Lord. Uh, those, those things, they just kind of gain a life of their own. And they loom really large in our minds so much so that it can distort our perspective on what really is important and what is not. But it gets worse. First, we see Martha getting distracted. And then we see her get overcome with worry. And then finally, we see how worry can deteriorate into causing us to become visibly, extremely agitated. Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. And this word for upset, it's an unusually strong word. It means she is so upset she can't hide it any longer, okay? Her inward anxiety is now leading to outward agitation. She's kind of like a, a volcano that's beginning to rumble, just warning of an imminent eruption. And the word speaks of outward noise, clamor, something that's loud. And Martha, let me tell you, she was upset. You could just see it in her face. You could see it in her body movement. You could just see it in the pace and noise level of her service. And from the way this story is written and the language is used in the original text, I imagine that Martha didn't just kind of quietly close the cupboard. No, she bam, slammed it shut. She probably didn't just calmly put the dishes on the table. No, she practically probably threw them down, okay? And the more pressure she felt to get it all done, the more she probably began to stare at Sister Mary, who was just sitting there, not doing one thing to help. Martha was upset. She's about to explode. And verse 40 says she came to Jesus. And Greek scholar A.T. Robertson says this word for came really means stepping up to or bursting in upon Jesus. It is an explosive act, as is the speech of Martha. So, unable to contain herself any longer, 
the volcano finally erupts. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work all myself? Tell her to get in here and help me. It was not Martha's finest moment. <laughs> the distraction which mushroomed into worry and then deteriorated into extreme agitation now had Martha yelling at Jesus, accusing him of not caring about her and commanding him to do what she wanted him to do. So now the downward slide is complete. She was distracted. She is worried. She was so upset that she critically ripped into her poor sister Mary in front of all these, all these people, and she commanded the Lord and creator of the universe to obey her. <laughs> Can't you identify with Martha? I'm, I, I know I can. And again, John Comer does identify as well. In his book, he writes this, hurry and love are incompatible. All my worst moments as a father, a husband, and a pastor, even as a human being, are when I'm in a hurry, late for an appointment, behind on my unrealistic to-do list, trying to cram too much into my day. I ooze anger, tension, a critical nagging, the very antithesis of love. Guys, this is no small matter. This is something that's really important. We need to beware of the slippery path of submitting constantly to the tyranny of the urgent. It's a downward slide that can lead you away from the Lord and away from everybody around you. Okay, that's the first thing. The sixth thing that can help you and me to not crowd time with God out of our busy lives is to choose to do the best thing over the many, many good things. Listen, it was a good thing for Martha to prepare a nice meal for Jesus and his disciples, but not at the expense of isolating herself away from fellowship with the Lord. Ministry to the Lord without time with the Lord can lead you away from the Lord. That, that, let me repeat that. Ministry to the Lord without time with the Lord can lead you away from the Lord. Well, what we do with Christ then, really, we don't think about it this way, but that's far more important than what we do for Christ. You know, sometimes we can get involved in all kinds of good things. I mean, ministries and worthy causes and school and entertainment and sports and, and hobbies and work and, and all that, but when push comes to shove, we need to make sure that we don't let these good things prevent us from doing the most important, the best things. Jesus said, Mary has chosen. Now, let's hear that? She's chosen. She is making a decision. We can make these decisions too. We choose what we're going to do. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from here. her. So here, Jesus Christ is in her home. Just, just think about that. Jesus is actually in her home. And Martha chose to exhaust herself, perhaps, you know, perhaps preparing a way too elaborate meal and getting all bent out of shape in the process. Mary chose to sit at the feet of Jesus, her Lord, and just soak in his words. Apparently, she chose to do that a lot. Do you know that Mary is mentioned three times in the Gospels, and all three times, where do we find her? At the feet of Jesus. Every time. 
Here in Luke 10, she's there at the feet of Jesus, just taking in his every word. And then over in John 11, she's at the feet of Jesus as her heart is broken, and she's just down at Jesus' feet, just weeping over the loss of her brother who has just died. And then in John 12, we see Mary once again at the feet of Jesus. This time, she's anointing his feet with a costly, costly heirloom of perfume. The feet of Jesus was a place that Mary regularly chose to be. And sometimes it's true in it that the good is the enemy of the best. And let me tell you, it takes guts. It takes courage. It takes fortitude to choose to do the best thing instead of the good thing. And that is what Mary did. The final way to keep from crowding uh, time with God out of our busy lives is to make fellowship with Christ the number one priority in our lives. You know, when I retired a couple of years ago, I made a huge mistake. Way back in 1974, when I was in seminary, my favorite and most influential professor, Dr. Howard Hendricks, in class one day, he strongly emphasized how important it was for us to spend time alone in the Word with the Lord every day. And he warned, and I'm not talking about studying the Word to prepare for sermons or prepare for a Bible study. I'm talking about spending time alone with God, meditating on His Word, just you and Him, talking with Him, applying it to your life. I'm talking about the taking time to feed your own soul. Well, I took that very seriously. It just seemed to be so right and so true. But when I retired and moved to Chicago, I quit doing that. I'd study the Word to prepare for a Bible study that I was leading, but I just wasn't spending much time, you know, just me and the Lord together. And then... Since I'm so hard-headed, a month or so ago, Melissa, in one of her sermons, said the exact same thing that Howard Hendricks said 50 years ago. She said, we need to have time with the Lord alone in the Word, but not just time preparing for a lesson or a message or anything, but time in fellowship with the Lord. I felt like somebody had hit me over the head with the two-by-four, okay? Melissa, I was really convicted, okay? <laughs> and I started making time with God in the Word a priority once again. Guys, if we're followers with Christ, we need to cut out time to be alone with the Lord to keep those spiritual batteries charged up. We need to choose, like Mary did, to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to Him. Haddon Robinson uh, is another professor of mine. He makes the following comment on this passage. He says, knowing the Bible is important, but that's not what it means to sit at Jesus' feet and hear his word. To hear his word is to allow him to minister to you, to allow him to do something in you before you do something for him. But I'm just so busy. Listen, nobody, was more busy than Jesus. He was extremely busy. Look what he managed to accomplish in three years of ministry. But have you ever noticed that he never seemed to be in a hurry? Can you think of Jesus in a hurry? Oh, we got to get there. We got to do this. We got to go there. No, he, he was never frantic. He was never panicked. No matter what was going on, he always seemed to have a sense of peace about him. Do you know what his secret was? Luke 5, 16 tells us, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. 
In Luke's gospel, we see uh, Jesus going to his quiet place no less than nine times. And as John Comer points out, the busier and more in demand and famous Jesus became, the more he withdrew to his quiet place to pray. Listen, following Jesus means not only that we follow his teaching, it also means that we follow his lifestyle. And the number one priority in his life was spending time alone with his heavenly father. And that needs to be our priority as well. We need to ruthlessly carve out time to be with God. And that requires some, uh, some sacrifice. You know, that might mean we need to get to bed, you know, a little bit earlier at night. It may mean we need to watch a little less TV. It may mean that we need to spend a little less time on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, Twitter. We could do, call it Twitter if we stop. <laughs> there are all kinds of time drainers we might need to kind of shave away and cut out of our lives or at least lessen them. But whatever it takes, we need to make the time. You're not going to find the time, okay? It's just not there. You gotta make the time to sit at the feet of Jesus. Warren Wiersbe says the most important part of the Christian life is the part only God sees. Wow. And Henry Nouwen goes so far as to say, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and listen to him. So what's on the dashboard of your spiritual dashboard looking like? What's it looking like? I mean, are there little red and orange signs flashing all over the place? Is your spiritual alternator working at all? Are you spiritually starved and in need of some regular times alone with your Lord and Master? Let me encourage you just, just with all of my heart, don't do it. Don't submit to the tyranny of urgent things which want to tear you away from, from having fellowship with your Lord and Savior. Make fellowship with Him your number one priority. And hey, why not start tomorrow morning? Sam has provided for us a, a little handout. It's a tremendous resource. And if you're unfamiliar with having quiet times, you want to have a better quiet time, you know, grab one of these after you get some communion. And, and we've also got them printed up on, on the website on Missio Day. And I encourage all of us, let's use this resource to help us to learn more about how to, how to have deeper, richer, more regular times with the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we confess that uh, most of us identify with Martha a lot more than Mary. And yet we realize, Father, that uh, we need to get our priorities in order. We realize, Father, there's nothing more important than sitting at your feet and hearing from you so that we can cope and handle this, this difficult life we're facing here in the 21st century. So, Father, we just uh, pray that you would not allow the enemy to, to keep us from you and your word. And I pray that you'll give us, Lord, spiritual uh, motivation and energy and strength to, to, to make the time to be with you. And we pray, Father, that you would richly bless those times in the word with you. For it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. 
find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.